Welcome, everybody, to the One to Go show. It is Puka, joined once again by Ryan Aho, former racer, now retired, numerous national titles in Wazota and DTRA, currently running Platinum Promotions, and Bert Lehman, editor of Full Throttle Magazine. Well, it's January 20th, race fans, and we're in the depths of winter. Who would have thought we'd have so much racing news to cover? But we do. Uh, the Wild West shootout's a wrap. We'll tell you who walked off with some serious cash. The 34th Annual Chili Bowl Nationals took place last week. We'll fill you in on some of the highlights. And recent return to the Sunshine State. Yes, FLA played host to both mods and lates over the weekend. And we'll get you up to speed. Unless you're living under a rock, you've heard about Major League Baseball's cheating scandal. We're going to get this. We're going to get a little bit scandalous ourselves and dive into cheating and racing. So, with that, we'll turn it over to the boys here. Welcome, or not welcome, but uh, well, welcome indeed. But uh, happy Martin Luther King Day, guys! Big, big, uh, big holiday that uh, we want to make sure we mention. And before we get rolling, and speaking of holidays, uh, Bert, I think we missed a birthday with you last week, so we just want to wish you a, a happy, happy birthday. Well, thank you. Yeah, yeah my birthday was uh, last Tuesday. So uh, just uh, a year older, no big deal. <laughs> they, uh, a year, well, that's not true. Yep. Not just a year older, a year wiser, right? We, you know, you, once you start getting our age, we don't actually, you know, gain age. It's like just leveling up, right? Like, you know, like Puka, what are you, level 40? or Level, level 44 now. Level 44 now? Yeah, level 44. 44 Level 44, yeah. So we just keep moving up levels is what we're doing. You know, it's like you get one of those years and it's like just nothing goes right. Boy, wouldn't it be nice to be able to hit the reset button and kind of start that year over again? Absolutely. Um, sure yeah, I actually saw a lot of those. Uh, you know, thank God 2019 has gone. I'm ready for 2020, uh, you know, around the, the turn of the year here. So, but, uh, yeah, welcome, fellas. And uh, we'll jump into it with the Wild West shootout as racing continued down there in Phoenix uh, Wednesday night. We saw Brandon Shepard dashing to the wind, followed by Jimmy Mars and Ricky Weiss. Friday, Brian Shirley, and that was Bishop's second win of the series. And on Friday, Brian Shirley secured his second win of the series, followed by Bishop and Chris Simpson. And then on Saturday night, Shirley went for night uh, win number three and got a $10,000 bonus. He was followed again by Ricky Weiss and Bishop. And then Sunday's finale, these were all $5,000 win races besides the finale, which they bump up to $15,000. B-Shep uh, took the win, followed by Johnny Scott and Ricky Weiss. And with B-Shep's win, he got a $10,000 bonus and also, and he was the overall points champion. So he's your Wild West champion for 2020. So, Bert Lehman, your take on this year's Wild West shootout. Well, my my first impression is what, what a year – what a difference a year makes for Brian Shirley. I mean, last year he was entering the season uh, racing for a, a new race team, GR Smith. They went to Florida and they parted ways by the end of the week. And this year he he's come out and he was on fire down there in Arizona. So it's good to see. Uh, one interesting note with him is uh, uh, Bob Cullen, his car owner, uh, is from eastern Wisconsin. So we got a Wisconsin connection with uh, Shirley. And my other, my other two thoughts regarding the show is uh, the performance of Ricky Thornton Jr. I mean, he's known as a modified ace, but uh, he looked good in the late model, finished sixth in the final point standings down there. So that was good to see. 
And my other impression was, even though Bobby Pierce finished fourth, he was not in victory lane for any of the nights, and that's unusual for him. Yeah, that's a great point. Ryan, your thoughts? Yeah, I'm going to start with uh, the squirrel there. You know, Brian Shirley, I, honestly, in all the years that I've seen him race, and I know he's won a ton of races, and I know he's really done well in that yes. UMP. Didn't he win the Hell Tour last year? I think the UMP points. I've honestly never seen him in person, like, run really well. I've been at Cedar Lake a number of times, and just, you know, he's been there, but just not solid. And honestly, he was flat out the dominant car of the whole series. Like he was the guy to beat each and every night, clearly the fastest guy in the track. And, you know, an example would be the, the, the finale down there. Now I'll be honest, the pressure, I think maybe got to him a little bit, or maybe, you know, I, I that's my thoughts is the pressure got to him because he had a legitimate shot to get a $25,000 bonus instead of a $10,000 bonus. If he had won four features and he went out in time trials on the last night and stuck it right in the fence. And, kind of wrecked his heat race he had to come through the b main but man was he on a mission 17th to the lead and uh, got caught up in lap traffic ended up falling back to fourth so clearly absolutely bolted uh you know hats off to him i hope the transition into lucas oil into that series is a good one for him um, i was very impressed i've never seen him that fast i was flat out just very impressed with him um ricky weiss I tell you, he had, he had a very solid weekend down there, very consistent, a little bit of drama with him there. Um, he got together with uh, with the thriller, Kate Dillard. Uh, looked like Dillard got him in the fence, and then Ricky dumped him. Right in the middle of front straightaway, he dumped him. And they have that, you know, crazy rule where whoever stops goes to the back. And Weiss got a spot back, Dillard went to the back, and that's kind of how that story went. But, uh, you know, i got to talk about the other classes, you know, the, the mods. And I always like to say I'm going to talk about the real race cars, the modifieds in the Midwest mods. I'm kind of that open wheel guy. And our our northern guys represented extremely well down there um, in the modified division. Um, Hot Shoe Dustin Strand, uh, who's got, I mean, the, the, the kid's flat all one in everything he's been. And he's been bolted in the Midwest mods, the super stocks, the mods and he is uh, NLRA late model regular and runs very, very well in that. And uh, not only did he, he, he got a win down there, but he won the whole series. So it was just very, very good to see him come down from Grand Forks, North Dakota, take the series home with some heavy hitters. I mean, you got, you know, people like uh, Rodney Sanders and, you know, and company down there to go down there and win that deal. Great to see for him. And a little bit of drama. We like to talk about drama a little bit here. The modified <clears throat> guy that was very impressive down there, extremely fast. He was super fast last year in Wasota, the one TPO of Tyler Peterson. Uh, Tyler, actually, I think he got a third, second, and first his last three nights. But on the second to last night, he put a beautiful move on uh, Matt Lear to take the lead. Slid him, cleared him. Lear got back underneath him. They come down into three and four. It looked to me as a racer that Lear picked up a push, stayed in the pump for two reasons. One, to try to win. But two, if he wouldn't have lifted, he probably would have pushed harder, hit him harder in the middle of the corner. In uh, the middle of the front straightaway, they got together. Lear actually got up into him. They bumped tires. Bam, there goes uh, TPO, one TPO against the wall, and Lear beat him by a nose. And and, uh, victory lane celebration was heated. 
and there was a little bit of passion there uh, when they interviewed Tyler Peterson. You, you listeners can definitely look that up online. And uh, he was hot, and he, he basically said, you know, I'm here for business, and I'll race you how you race me. He was very, very passionate. And he come out the next night and put his money where his mouth was, and he he took the checkered flag there on the the season the series finale. Very impressive uh, to do that. Matt Lear had a terrible night on the last night, didn't even make the show. So you, you kind of – and then in modified racing, you can go from here to zero really fast. I've seen it done. And uh, another guy I want to talk about there is Trevor Anderson from Watertown, South Dakota. He had a really rough deal. He got up in the fence pretty hard, got hit, and uh, he actually spent the night in the hospital. Um, looks like I, I don't believe his leg is broken. They they weren't sure the swelling was up, but he had some bad bruising there. So glad to hear that's good. Hopefully he has a speedy recovery. Um, that's it on the Modifieds. I mean, the Modified racing was phenomenal. The Midwest Modifieds, the, the two-time defending champ, Cole Searing, had a really rough start on the second to last night, though I think he went from 10th to 2nd, started getting faster towards the end. But uh, the class of the showdown there, Kelly Lake, Minnesota's Skeeter Estee uh, winning the final two nights and taking home the series. So, again, two of the series champions were from up in Wasota country. Hats off to Skeeter Estee, hats off to Dustin Strand, and, you know, just way, way to go to all them guys on representing you know, I guess the upper Midwest. Very yeah, we well had a great Arizona. You know, showing by Back the Minnesota people. And like I said, even Don Shaw, you know, I know he's won some races down there in the past. You know, he did lead some laps that one night. I did note that last, the finale was the Shaw Trucking 50. So he actually uh, threw some money in there with some sponsorship, which I thought was cool. Uh, you know, you brought up Kay Dillard, Ryan. And I mean, there's a guy, so he gets down there last week. He breaks on Saturday, breaks on Sunday, comes out on Wednesday, running up front hits the wall uh friday he breaks saturday he finally gets fourth and sunday he's he's dumped it and every time except for friday he was running in the top five when something happened you know he was right there all weekend he, he's coming off that victory in vado and i'm thinking you know he's hoping the momentum is gonna you know stick with him and it just was like wow he you know if he didn't have bad luck he wouldn't have had any luck at all <laughs> he kind of reminds me of a guy that uh, that I know Bert got to watch for many years over there in eastern Wisconsin, Terry Casey. You know, really fast, always in the hunt, good good position, and then, you know, tear, tear, the, tear the fenders off the thing. And, and I like Terry, so he's probably going to get mad at me if he hears this. But, you know, the, the fact is, you know, Cade is uh, he's up on the wheel. The guy is aggressive, and uh, if he just – He's young. He doesn't have a ton of experience in that late model. You know, he's got he's got a little time under his belt now, but he just needs if he just tones down just a little bit, smooths out just a little bit, he's he's going to be a very tough. Yeah, and one thing to deal that was sure. you know brought up, well, two items that were brought up, and we can expound on just a little bit was, you know, obviously they got this, which I I always known as the no spin rule. So if you're involved in an incident, or if you spin for any reason, whether you get spun or what, you know, you, you, you know if you stop, you're to the back. You know, even if you got spun. And then, you know, there was a little some battle crying going on, on online about the track, you know, too much water, not enough water, you know, who, you know, we can discuss a little bit, who should we be catering to? Should it be the fans? Should it be the driver? And maybe Bert, maybe we'll turn it over to you on this. You have a comment on the spin rule and, or kind of some of this watering incident, you know, who, you know, what, what should we be doing <laughs> or what should the promoter mean- be doing? I mean, regarding the spin rule, I know a lot of promoters do the spin rule 
uh, to um, help move the show along uh, quicker. Um, you know, it, it's, it's a tough break when it happens to a driver and you never want to see that happen. Um, but it's something that uh, we have to live with, I guess. And regarding track conditions, I mean, from a fan's perspective, um, you know, they want fans like to see fast paced racing. And, you know, if there's a little bit of moisture in the track with a little bit of a cushion that produces the best racing, in my opinion, I mean, granted, you can go to the extreme where the track is really heavy, but I don't think that was the case down there. I just think it, it had more moisture than what uh, some of the national drivers are used to on a weekly basis. And, um, you know, with the technology the way it is today, you know, cars are set up more for the for tracks that are drier. So it can throw a driver off if there's a little bit more moisture than what they're used to. Yeah, it looked really good to me. I mean, it was a little rough on the bottom just about every night. There were some bumps and holes, but boy, that cushion and you know they'd lay us you know you could see at the beginning of the race the track was pretty brown but well three quarters of the way up the track and of course they'd, they'd push it up as later the race went but there'd be this nice you know just line of black you know and that's where Shirley was you know that's where Shirley was just on the gas you know and and just thumping around so uh, Ryan your thoughts on either or both of these subjects you know I never really have an opinion on anything but I'm going to share it anyway <laughs> um you know, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start with that one spin rule. That does not speed the show up at all. Um, either way, they got to stop the show. Either way, somebody's going to go to the back. I have a real problem with them not actually taking ownership, making a call. That is just ridiculous to me. You know, if somebody, if it's clear and obvious that somebody caused the caution, even though they kept going, put that guy to the back and give the guy the, the, his spot back that didn't cause it. I mean, that makes absolutely no sense. The same thing I watched the Chili Bowl same bunch of nonsense there why on earth should somebody go to the back that was clearly not the cause of the accident and i actually have a story about this back in i believe it was uh 1998 or 1999 it was quite a while ago i made my first ever trip over to the river city speedway went over to grand forks in a super stock and i redrew like i suppose it was like eighth or tenth or something fourth fifth row and i, I drove right to the front i got up into the top three maybe battling for the lead boom somebody spins me out clearly and they put me to the back and i'm like wow what in the heck favoritism is that i was mad i had no idea that they even had this rule so then i come from dead last it was bone dry top to bottom we were used to that usually their track was pretty sticky and i came from like 20th up to the lead and actually brad sang drove into my left rear spun me out and they put me to the back again now i'm like way mad i'm like just completely beside myself just absolutely just furious and i start coming through and somebody drives into the side of me and finally i just blasted the guy off the track and pulled off i was so mad and and actually um when brad spun me out he cut my tire so he he drove by me in the pits and and i've never met the guy in my life had no idea who he was but i threw my tire at him i can tell you that as he was driving by and i i may have signaled him that he was number one and i may have said something um, I'm not really sure. I was pretty cool, calm, and collective, so probably not, but maybe. And uh, it got pretty heated. I Let's just say, and all of a sudden he comes walking down. I'm like, oh, boy, he's bigger than me. This ain't going to be real good. And he's like, oh, man, I'm sorry. You must not understand the rules. I'm like, I've been racing for a long time. I know the rules. You spun me out, but you're from here. He goes, oh, no, no, that's not how the rule works. 
whoever stops goes to the back. He goes, but I knew that rule, so I figured, you know, if I just dumped you, cut your tire or whatever, it didn't matter. I was getting my spot back as long as I kept going. I'm like, well, what kind of crap is that? And so that night, he actually come back down. He's like, well, here's the deal. Run over to the parts truck. I'll buy you a tire. I'll pay for your hotel. If you need a place to work on your car, I'm like, oh, he's kind of a flight dick anyway. I was just mad, you know. And uh, after that, I think they changed the rule because it was kind of a sprint car deal there. And I think they, they no longer have that rule. But I'm like, that is that just makes absolutely zero sense. I mean, why on earth would you penalize a guy? You know, the only you know, it's just ridiculous somebody gets penalized when it's clearly not their fault. So I've always had a problem with that rule. It's just it's just not right. And as far as the track prep goes, I've been on all aspects of that. I've been a race fan. I've been a racer. You know, I've been I've had seasons where I was really good on the dry. I've had seasons where I needed a little traction. But one thing I do know for sure is no matter what the track's like, racers are going to bitch. I know because I was one, right? And that's just the way it is. So if it's too heavy, we're going to be mad. If it's too dry, we're going to be mad. If it rubbers up, we're going to be mad. Now, my dad and, and Puka, your uh, father-in-law, were both down there, and clearly they're smarter than us because they're down in the warm and we're not. And, you know, I talked to my dad here last night, and he says, you know, there was a couple nights that probably, especially for the Midwest mods, because they don't have a ton of power, it's a pretty big track. He said there was a couple nights where it was probably they overdid it with the water and they run first, so they kind of got a, a little bit of a, a bad deal there. But at the end of the day, as a race fan, I would rather watch one lane super fast racing where you can slide each other then bone dry in the heat races, marbly, going to rubber up halfway through the night. So as a race fan, I would take too heavy over too dry, but I can understand the driver's points because I've been there. We're all on a budget, and it costs the drivers more money to race on a heavy track because it's harder on everything. It's harder on the motor. It's harder on, on everything except tires. So it's harder on most of your bolt-on parts, so it's going to cost you more money, wears things out. And, you know, the track gets a little bit rough. That's a little hard on things. But, man, I, I remember, guys, looking back to, like, the 90s when I used to race in Superior and Proctor. And, you know, them places were rough. I'm talking, like, it was like you you destroyed stuff in the holes, but the crowds were full, and it was exciting. You know, think about Gateway. You know, here's an example for both of you, and I know both of you kind of watched a little bit of the Chili Bowl, a little bit of Gateway. What would you rather watch? Would you rather watch the Chili Bowl where it's, slick and they got a cushion up top but it's basically no attitude to the track it's kind of boring follow each other on the racetrack or was it more exciting to watch gateway where cars are hitting the holes and dicing and sliding and moving all around the racetrack well, for race sure i mean you, you know you even brought up grand forks you know the wet stuff you know that yeah that gumbo i mean that quarter mile i mean i've seen so many fun races out there and and uh you know cars just you know not only is it wet but i think that I think that surface is just super abrasive, you know, where, I mean, I, I've seen guys where, you know, they're hiking up the rear end and, and I think like parts break, and, you know, all of a sudden like the car just sits down, you know, and they're pulling off because, you know, something broke, you know, the, the whole rear end is, it's almost like the rear end maybe shifted or something, you know, and this was, this is six, seven years ago. I don't, I haven't seen it lately, but, you know, but uh, yeah, I, I, I love seeing, I mean, you know, obviously nobody wants one lane racing, but uh, like you said, I'd rather see, fast hammer down one lane racing and super dry dusty one lane racing um i mean i like oh, to see fast racing um 
you know, I can remember back in the in the early 1990s at Shano Speedway, cars would have to pack the track for like an hour before the races because that's how much water they put on the track. Um, and you know, you'd be you'd be scraping mud off the car and you'd have piles of mud in the pit area. Now at now there. Uh, Drivers don't have to pack the track at all unless there's a, a rain shower or something. So it's it's really changed in the last, you know, 20, 25 years. But, yeah, I mean, I would definitely rather see a fast track. I mean, you mentioned Terry Casey before. I mean, you put him on a tacky track, and, I mean, he's fun to watch. And, you know, any driver that, that um, you know, is up on the wheel, they're always more it's always more fun to watch them on a heavy track than a dry track absolutely correct terry casey was always super fun to watch not necessarily super fun to race against but definitely super fun to watch and i remember that too on the pack and track i mean you know we're, we're i'm looking at some old pictures from back in the 80s and you know the, every track you went to you had to pack track and you know there was always a debate well do we want the cars to pack the track going the opposite way around the track or the normal way and i remember packing for years at the cedar lake speedway and i remember and, and puka i know you remember this too you know back in the day in hibbing the races would get over and we'd walk out of the grandstands as kids and we'd walk across the track. And the first thing we'd do when we got to the pits is find somebody's trailer so we could scrape the mud off our shoes from walking across the track after the races were over. And now it's not even as muddy before the races as it used to be after the races. It's, it's just totally changed. And part of that is cars cost way more money now. So the driver's definitely voice their opinion that they want smooth they want dry they don't want to hurt their equipment in fact i know some guys that are really 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 good dry slick racers that when it gets too heavy they just pull off it's like what do you what's wrong with you like are you a sissy or well, what is your deal right i'm like I, I literally do not get it like it's too heavy it's too rough it's too fast i'm like give a race car what are you talking about you know and i've seen it i know many and some of them are my friends i'm not calling them out because they'll get mad as heck at me we're friends but the fact of the matter is what kind of pansy are you if you're pulling off the track when it's too sticky man they, they should have raced back in the 90s when it was sticky and rough every <laughs> yeah i remember those totally days changed. in hibbing uh you know as a matter of fact when i was a little little kid i used to just love watching the pack in the track because remember how much mud used to flap on the cars you know, there'd be just, it'd be, you know, they would be going around and mud would just be chunks of mud flying up on the decking. And, and yeah, they were always going in the opposite direction. And I remember that's when they were pitting in the middle. And I remember pickups, they were pulling, you know, little yeah. trailers back then. You know, most guys had two-wheel drive pickups, but they had to get a run. You know, the old entrance in Hibbing there, rip out of the grandstands. You know, they'd have to get a run to get up and over and into the pits because it was just so muddy, you know. And, yeah, <laughs> you just don't see anything like that anymore. I I, right. I remember when it was a big deal, like everybody had their own mud scrapers, right? You started out with the little putty knives, and then next thing you know, somebody, you know, they were taking hockey sticks and, you know, getting creative on how they made them. And pretty soon there was companies actually making, like, long mud scrapers where you could get up underneath your deck tin. And, you know, I mean, it, it's insane, right? They had all this stuff. And now... You know, people are like, what do you need a mud? Like, I don't even, most of the time, I think a driver doesn't even need to bring a mud scraper to the racetrack. I mean, it's it's just a totally different thing. You know, tear-offs, 
you know, nowadays I think you, you peel one or two just because they got dusty. And I remember back in the day, you know, when it was a big deal, super big deal for like the laminated tear-offs, that was even before that they had the roll-offs because it'd be so muddy, so sticky that you, they, people were having roll-off machines because you'd be using so many tear-offs. And I remember Danny McMahon back in the day, he had a roll-off machine, and uh, I remember he always had a trail of tear-offs kind of pulling off his helmet because he didn't quite slice it with the razor blade. Do you, you guys remember that back in the day when they had the, the uh, yeah, tear-offs yeah, kind yeah, of yeah, flopping, yeah, flopping off the helmet for half yep. the race? Yeah, I mean, actually, when I got on a late-model pit crew back in 1990, one of my first jobs was scraping mud off the car. So, uh, uh, you know, speaking of mud scrapers, you know, that brings back a lot of memories. And you speaking of tear-offs, uh, later on that became my job was preparing the helmet and putting the tear-offs on. So, you know, it, if I saw that the, drag, the track was a little heavy, I'd always, I, I was in MJ McBride's pit crew, I'd always ask MJ, you want extra tear-offs on? And, you know, so we were, all, we were always aware of how heavy the track was. Boy, things sure have changed in that regard. People get really, really upset now, and then they just bash it all over Facebook. Oh, they need to park the water truck and this and that. Now, again, I used to be that guy when I was in the Super Stocks when it got dry slick. I was chomping at the bit. Like, I'm like, oh, it's over. When it was dry slick and I was in the Super Stocks, I was going to win, period. The Modifieds, I ran well, but, you know, Kelly Esty and some of those guys had my number when it got super, super slick. But in the Super Stocks, I was – I did not want it heavy because as a driver, it eliminated probably three quarters of the competition. Most of the guys can't compete on the drive. They don't have enough throttle control. And Puka, you and I were talking about this. I think a lot of people quit racing because of the dry slick. You know, a lot of new guys come in, you know, they go out there, they're thinking they're going to be able to put the you know pedal to the metal and go. And they, all they do is spin out and they can't keep control of their car. And they're like, well, this ain't for me. I just quit. Whereas, you know, 10, 15, well, not 10, but probably 15, 20 years ago where there was more traction on the racetrack, some of that's, that's part of the reason that you see the local well, car counts. Well, you're, of the you're a former racetrack. driver, so uh, what's the saying, um, everybody's fast on a tacky track, is that true? Well, yes and no. Um, yes, I would say to a point, it, it kind of makes a little bit, it takes a little bit of the skill out. Now, with that said, you still got to carry momentum. You still got to be quick through the middle of the corner, but you don't have to worry about getting traction, right? You don't have to worry about throttle control coming off the corner. You just put the gas pedal down and go, but you do have to worry about rotating the car. So I would say, yes, there's some truth to that. You know, when the track is super sticky, when there's a lot of traction, it's definitely it's hard to pass. But let's be honest. When it's bone dry in one lane and marbly and starts taking rubber, it's hard to pass then too. But at least in a on a heavy track, you can slide people, you can diamond it, you can move around on the racetrack. All right, fellas, good things. discussion. We're going to move on to Florida now, but uh, um, yeah, we'll uh, <laughs> we'll wait and see if the mud scrapers ever do return. So, uh, racing commenced uh, this past weekend down in East Bay. I'll give you the report on the east side of the state. Ryan will give you the report on the west side of the state. But uh, the uh, Dirt Car Sunshine Nationals, the inaugural Dirt Car Sunshine Nationals, took place over the weekend in Volusia. We had three nights of racing, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And Kyle Bronson swept all three nights in the Dirt Car Pro 
late models. And it was funny to read his quote, uh, or each night he, when you read his quote, it was something to the effect of, I hated getting into him. I didn't mean to get into him. I hated that we bumped like that. So uh, Kyle Bronson, nothing's changed in 2020. Still rough riding, banging. But uh, like I said, he did sweep the weekend. And now that series will move on to East Bay on January 30th. And, uh, of course, the mods are running over in uh, East Bay, Ryan. Oh, tomorrow night. Oh, okay. Oh, they start tomorrow night. The mod, the mod, yeah, the, yep. The mod started tomorrow night. And, uh, you know, I saw, I saw on Facebook that, you know, Kevin Buzzy Adams is taking, uh, the 23 ride down there. He's going to be driving for George Dahlbeck as, as Buzzy, as we know, he moved up into the late model division, but he's still going to run some mod stuff. And, and, uh, he's a perennial front runner that runs very well down there at East Bay. Um, usually doesn't head over to Volusia. I know uh, the Broking camp, they're getting ready. They're getting their stuff together right now. Um, Johnny Broking is going to be racing down in Volusia, but East Bay starts tomorrow night. All um, right. And, uh, so we also had racing taking place in Tulsa, Oklahoma for the 34th annual Chili Bowl. And just a couple of highlights. Uh, night one, there are really no notables uh, towards the front. Night two, Kyle Larson was victorious. Night three, Rico uh, was in victory lane. Sammy Swindell finished fifth. T-Mac finished eighth. On uh, night four, Christopher Bell was victorious. Night five, nobody really in the top five that most people from around here would know besides Donnie Schatz uh, had an eighth place finish. And then the finale, uh, Kyle Larson became the champion for the 34th annual. Uh, uh, Christopher Bell was second and Rico placed fifth. So, uh, Bert, overall, what were your thoughts uh, on the Chili Bowl this year? Well, I, I believe I picked Kyle Larson to win, so I was pretty happy about that. Um, <laughs> but, uh, no, I mean, it was good racing. Uh, you know, one thing is, you know, I, I know there are fans out there that say they won't go to races where the fast guys start out front, and but yet this, this event is considered, you know, a cream of the crop event, and, you know, all the fast guys are starting out front which there's nothing wrong with that but there wasn't a whole lot of passing in the front I mean, watching it on tv you can't see you know the, the slicing and dicing that's taking place in the back of the field but uh it was a good pass by larson for the win and i was happy to uh see him get the win uh i did like his comments uh, in victory lane where he he said that you know this was a this is the biggest race that he's ever won and the biggest race he wanted to win, you know, uh, no disrespect to NASCAR, he said, because he's got to remember where, where he gets his money from. So uh, overall it was, it was a good show. Ryan, you got to peek at some of the races, right? (laughs) I did. I did. And uh, yeah, his comment was a little bit more colorful than that, but we all, we all get the point. Us dirt racers fully understand that no matter what the racetrack's like, dirt racing is much better than pavement racing. It just is what it is. So, and I and uh, that that was a big deal to him to win that. So, congratulations, Kyle Larson. Pretty cool how he came. His car came out on the track with his wife driving the car, and you know they had the his little kid up on the I think uh, riding on the car. And I don't know if you noticed, but his that. wife shotgunned a beer in Victory Lane. So, you know that that got her yeah that got her brownie points from the fans for sure. But uh, one guy that I was paying attention to was Timez, Thomas Meserol. And the only reason is I went to a track in Sycamore, Illinois, and 
like literally I, I had no clue who anybody was and there was no passing that night. It was pretty heavy, um, like not heavy. It was muddy. Like they, they way overdid it that night. But this guy, he broke in his heat in Sycamore, came from dead last and won. I'm like, wow, that guy's amazing. He's like super fast. So they were talking about Timez down there, one of the fan favorites and guys from California. And, boy, uh, he, he had a second place in one of the qualifying nights. And I'm not sure if you guys saw the story or not, but he ended up missing his flight to come to get to the Chili Bowl on the day of the feature. So he missed the pole dash. So instead of him, instead of being able to race the pole dash and advance his position to get a better starting spot, he ended up having to take the default uh, starting position of 10th in the feature, got caught up in an accident where uh, there was a rollover. The guy came down and, and he ended up on his top and ended his night. And uh, that was just a, a sad deal because I, I really believe that if he would have been been there for the pole dash, you know, he would have been a top five guy for sure, maybe battling for the win. Kyle Larson, Christopher Bell are, were the cream of the crop, but, you know, I think he could have been in the mix there somewhere. So I really paid attention to him. And I think they broke a record this year, um, 70, I think it was 76 rollovers. So, you know, they're, they're, as smooth as the track was, there was a cushion on top. And then things still dump upside down. I, I can't even imagine how many rollovers there'd be if the track was like it was at Gateway. That <laughs> yeah, that's for been sure. Something. So, uh, any more comments on the? Hey, the, the yeah, the other thing that I was going to talk about, Puka, Tony Stewart, right? Um, you know, I'm not sure if a lot of people noticed, but Tony Stewart kind of headed up. He was one of the main guys in the track prep and. You know, he wasn't just a guy barking orders saying, hey, do this, do that, do this, do that. He was there till 2, 3, 4 in the morning working on the track hands-on um, with everybody else. So, you know, Tony Stewart, uh, passionate about racing. And uh, there's, a, there's a pretty neat story on, online. His first ever um, time racing in the Chili Bowl, um, his NASCAR team, he had to have permission to actually race you know, you had to get permission from your NASCAR car owners, which probably at the Gibbs, time, I yeah, guess, Joe Gibbs. Yeah. was it uh, Gibbs probably he was driving for? Yeah. But he, but it, the guy offered him an opportunity to drive, and he's like, man, I ain't got time to get permission. Like, I'm just going to do whatever. And I think, I think he, yes. I think he put down Smoke Johnson, I believe is what it was. And he went out there and he raced and he, he said he didn't make the show, had a blast, but it didn't take long before people figured out it was actually Smoke Tony Stewart. So kind of a neat story about Tony Stewart with the Chili Bowl. Great to see him is involved with racing as he is, loves the sport. And again, yeah, absolutely. Tony's great. Yeah, another great story for about Smoke. <laughs> so, well, race fans, unless, like we intro it, unless you were living under a rock, the biggest story in all of sports last week was the MLB cheating scandal with the Houston Astros. So we thought we'd, you know, tackle some cheating in racing. You know, we've all seen stories. We've all, uh, you know, like myself, you know, the Labor Day shootout in 1991, one of my favorite cheating stories. I mean, he didn't necessarily know he was cheating, but, you know, Rick Auckland uh, won the late model feature and then got on the scales and he was light. And we've seen Scott Bloomquist get on the scales at Eldora a, a couple of times and, and he was light. So we thought we'd kind of, uh, go down this scandalous path of, of cheating and racing. And, you know, I guess who wants to start? Ryan, you want to start? I know you said you had some, some stories. <laughs> <laughs> I got a whole bunch of them. So maybe I think I'll let Bert go first 
So I got I got a whole bunch. I got some pretty fun pretty fun stories for you guys to to hear about. So Bert, right. I think I'm gonna let um, you leave. Well, with I mean, Puka was talking about being light at the scales. Um, you know, I was at the World 100 when Shannon Babb won, but he was 10 pounds light at the scale. So the win went to Dale McDowell. And actually, ever ever since that race, I've been a Shannon Babb fan because he put on a show in that race. Uh, he changed engines after his heat race. And I think what happened was, you know, with with the different engine, you know, there's just a little bit of a weight difference. Um but and because of that, every time when I go to the World 100, I pull for Shannon Babb to win. But obviously, the biggest um, topic regarding cheating has to be with uh, doctoring up tires. Um, you know, that's been in the news over the years. And there's been some big names that have been um, named in that. Um, I was actually doing some research because I know Jason Feger uh, won a... $20,000 race in Illinois to start one of one of the seasons and I didn't realize it was seven years ago it was in 2013 and actually reading the story that I read was um, he didn't dispute that there's a substance on the tire he said that uh, chemicals were used to clean the tires in the off season and he didn't realize those chemicals would soften the tire and that's where it really gets sticky regarding tire doctoring because you know with all the grinding of tires and substances that are used to clean tires you know you don't know what's what's going to do what to a tire so um, obviously the tire is a big thing Um, I can remember when traction control was introduced and everybody was accusing everybody else of track of using traction control on our that's side right. The- that's so great, Bert. I'm glad you brought that. Yes, that was a huge thing. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, on our side of the state, you know, when that happened, I mean, there was a late model driver here that was winning a lot. He won the championship at a track and, um, you know, different people would accuse him of, of having traction control in his car. I have no idea if he did or not, but, you know, you have the the experts in the grandstand who would say, well, just watch him go into the corner and, you know, you can tell that, you know, so, you know, you don't know who's cheating or, or not. Uh, what's the saying? If you're not, if, if you're not trying, you're not cheating or something. If you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that's interesting on the tires because, you know, I know, 2016, you know, at the Dream, you know, Bishop, Satterley, Owens, Thornton, and Bloomquist were all fined and suspended for three months for something with tires. And it was, that was supposedly, according to an interview with Bloomquist, something that was not in the tire rather than added to the tire, you know. And then there was a recent interview with Doug Bland. If you guys remember, Doug Bland was who, well, today's Lucas series was basically started by. Doug Bland was the stacker too. And he was the guy that did the good years. And, and, you know, he told a story in there where, you know, there's times when you know, it might be the rocket cars or maybe it's, it's Bloomquist or maybe it's Moyer. They go out and, and test tires for Hoosier. You know, they might take a day and take a hundred or 200 laps and they're doing testing on the tires. Well then what they say is, I had no idea of this is typically at the end of the day, they say, okay, we got our data. You could keep the tires. You know, so then these guys have these tires that no one else has, you know, and then, you know, I don't know, I mean, Ryan, you know more about exactly how much tire teching goes on or what, but, um, but there's, there's these tires out there that 
if they're if they're doing that much if they're doing that much tire testing though and running them that many well laps that was the way he made it sound he, no he made it sound like these guys have they, they they put yeah they put they put new tires on yeah them okay, guys put okay. new well tires he just made it sound race. like you know then all of a sudden there's these certain compounds that are out there that no one else has and i don't know when exactly they'd be able to race them if there's like independent shows or what have you or like cheaters races like i said i'm sure the lucas and and the world of all those have some firm rules but you know he just made it sound like well here here's some tires for you take them you know because what are we going to do with them you know they're used now so yeah and back back a little while you know it was the tires were a lot more open there i mean you could basically run whatever compound you wanted to run you know in the open late model racing and and now They've really changed that. Usually you get to a track and they say, hey, these are the compounds you get to run tonight. You know, and they, they really, they, that's changed quite a bit. But back in the day, you could show up and, and that was a big deal. I remember Brady Smith, he was really good, obviously, for everybody here that knows him. I mean, he was really good. Um, but the fact is, he said he really struggled for a while understanding tires because there were so many to choose from. And and now they really, they've taken that out of the equation a little okay. bit. For well, why don't you fire away on some of your stories, Ryan? <laughs> <laughs> well, as far as tires go, if, if there's a race car driver that says, well, I'm not really sure what was in the cleaner, you know, maybe they're lying to you, okay? Because there's enough stuff out there where people know, you know, that simple green and some different things like that are just simply not, you're not supposed to clean your tires with that. In fact, some sanctioning bodies even say, what to clean your tires with. So, you know, if, if somebody is uh, softening their tires, it's it's not on accident. And I remember, um, didn't Chad Mater get disqualified at Huron winning a big race out there driving for J.R. Haley? Um, didn't he have an illegal tire and get a Wissota uh, suspension for that? Just Boy, I don't recall. Well. Bert? I, I don't know. Yep. Yeah, he he did. Um, now I don't know the details on that. I just happen to know the parties involved, and you know the rumor has it that he was just driving Jr. stuff, and one thing led to another. He got disqualified, and that he didn't even know about it. Whether or not that's true, I don't know, but he certainly got caught on that given night. And you know, uh, one thing I do know for sure is when the modify my rookie year in the modifieds, we could run um, the different compound tires we had a's and we had h's and i believe we might have had d's even before that which was really soft but then when they transitioned into a simple single compound they went where you could run hard tires on the back but they let you run soft tires on the front up until halfway through the year and it got to the last weekend where we were going to be able to run the soft tires on the front and mine were pretty wore out and i'm like well whatever i'm going to put I'm just going to put the hards on the front for tonight so they're new. It's got to be better than a used one that's that's soft. And I went out in the heat, and I got dead last. I'm like, oh, my goodness. Like, this thing's terrible. Like, what is the deal? Like, I like I literally I couldn't get through the middle of the corner to save my life. Well, then in the B main, I put my soft tires back on the front. That's the only change I made. Maybe snug the car up a little bit, and I won from the back. And then in the feature, I, I ran the same used soft tires on the front, and I drove up into the top five, and I'm here to tell you, in in a lot of racing, especially modified racing, the right front tire is so big because that allows you to put so much more traction in the car. So 
if people are cheating up doctoring their tires, a lot of times people think, oh, it's got to be their rears because they want more grip. And I'm here to tell you that most of the time it's the right front. And, and there's a lot more of it going on out there than people think, but it's not a simple process for people to tech. And uh, they, with soda, for example, they even have a deal where you can protest somebody's tire and they'll take a couple grooves out of it and they'll send it in. But there's a process and a kind of like, a, you know, a chain of evidence, so to speak, where it, it has to go to this person and be signed off off and go to this person and be signed on. You know, so there's a process. And it's a difficult, tedious process, and you just never see it get teched. And I, I know that uh, I've seen invitationals where they actually take, a, in fact, the Mon Nationals. Um, they would take the top five, and they would actually gr take a groove out of the tires on the top five. And I don't know if they just did it and said they sent them in because it costs money to do so, but uh, at least they gave the perception that they were doing it. Nobody got caught. So I don't know if they ever did anything with it. So tires have always been a big deal, um, but there's not as many people caught. In fact, I, I've seen guys, I've seen, there's a late model guy, actually he was from your side of the state there, Bert, that would come over, and, and I remember him racing Alexandria, and he raced over in our area quite a bit, and he actually had a tire rotisserie right in his trailer. Like literally the bottom row on his tire rack, there was, there was a tray underneath it where he could rotate the tires to soften the tires right in the trailer i'm like you're not even gonna hide it so you know, right, like, right. what are you doing you know so is the easiest way to cheat there, you think, but... tires or is it something like engine or, or bars or... no no it... well steve baker told me this when he used to have m west racing equipment because i was to always just snivel about buying new tires all the time because i was the guy that never had the money but I always I found a way to have new tires. And he says, you got to remember, the car only contacts the track in four spots, right? So the tires is the only thing that connects the race car to the race track. So you need to have good tires. And that's, that's, why, that's why tires is always the most controversial subject because drivers are looking for more grip, but they also want the tires to last longer. So there's really no such thing, right? That's a that's like a myth. That's like a unicorn or Santa Claus. You know, you, you give me a tire that lasts a long time, that has a lot of traction, right? That's like the Easter money, okay? I'm sorry, it just simply does not exist. You gotta pick one, okay? And as far as as far as that goes, no tire really lasts a long time because you heat cycle them a couple times and they might look new. Tires are a big deal and if they can condition and treat those tires to get a advantage it it happens often people do it all the time and really it should be teched it really should be teched a whole lot more but most tracks are hurting for money and most tracks are run by associations and most tracks aren't going to spend the money to consistently tech tires it's just simply not going to happen so until until they start teching it on a regular basis, it's going to continue to be a deal. It just is what it is. But there's a lot more things out there, and I'm going to start with, I got some pretty cool stories for you guys on, on teching and cheating. You know, so the first the first couple of things I'm going to talk about is a couple of things that will just make you absolutely shake your head on the lack of common sense with some tech officials where people were ruled illegal, but really was it cheating? And then we're going to get into some good stuff. And I remember I was out in Aberdeen for the – winter nationals out there i was racing the super stock i was battling with dave moss for the national championship and i won my heat and i was up there watching and he was racing against steve beach 
in the heat, and we were both throwing away high shows, so we both needed sweeps. And Steve Beach beat him in the heat, and I was like, yeah, you know, sweet, because I needed Moss to lose, right, because we were battling in points. Well, then all of a sudden, Steve Beach is disqualified at the scales. I'm like, what did he get disqualified for? I'm like, my goodness, they just gave Moss a win? That's terrible. Well, in, in Wissota, and I believe IMCA as well, on the wheels, they stamp them with a Wissota stamp. We have a, a spec wheel that we can run, and there's actually a sticker on the wheel, too, that it's certified that has a serial number on it. Well, <laughs> he had the stamp on the wheel, but the sticker was gone, and if you pressure washed it, you know, you could blow that sticker off. You just had to be smart and really pay attention not to do that, and he got disqualified at an invitational for a tiny little sticker not being on the wheel. I'm like, that is the most ridiculous thing in the whole world. But even worse than that, there was an incident in Ashland, Wisconsin, and uh, there was a combination of tech officials, so it's not all on Ashland, but there was a combination of people involved with this. But there was a guy, Jeff Leon, his kid races, Jeffrey Leon. Jeff was having some tough luck in the modified, blew up a couple engines, and he had a B-Mod engine, okay, Midwest modified engine, that he took that Midwest mod engine and he put uh, aluminum intake on it and a four-barrel carb. Now, keep in mind, it was a Midwest mod engine, literally 200 horse less than what he was racing, right? And he went out there. He didn't even make the feature. He went across the scales. I think he finished in the top five in his heat. And they went to tech, and they pulled off his hood, and they said, hey, you don't have spec heads on it. He goes, yeah, I know. It's a B-mod engine. And they're like, yeah, but on the on the side of the car, it had to say spec 2450, and if you had a spec engine in, but if you didn't have the spec heads, which were, you know, that you had to have the spec engine to have the spec weight, you had to weigh 2,600 pounds. Well, here's the deal. He's like, well, it's a B-Mod engine. Yeah, that's not a spec head. So technically you're illegal. He goes, okay, well, then just call me light. It is what it is. They gave him a 30-day suspension and $1,000 fine for having a B-Mod engine and an A-Mod. It was the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen in my entire life. I've never... There's never been anything as remotely close to that. I just shook my head. I'm like, this guy's going, like, way slower than all of us. He didn't even make the show. He's got a B-Mod engine in just so he can race the invitation. Well, well, and well, well with Zoda and I'm teching like, has just, always been just – Yeah, it was such a craft. Remember, remember? well, I think Bill Engelson <laughs> is still the head of tech, or he was at one time, and, and the guys from our local area would go to Huron yep, yep. for the Wazoda 100, you know, being teched by Billy all year, and then he'd go there. And they'd find something illegal, and they'd say, "Well, didn't I think it happened to Harry Hansen? I think, you know, I think there were a group of guys. They travel <laughs> six hours at the end of the year, September, mind you, and all of a sudden they're being found illegal." I said, "You've been doing this all year. You've been teching me all year." Yeah, and and, and that's the bot. It's usually a body infraction, is what it was. Because let's be honest, you get on these little short tracks. You know, the, some people may argue differently, but let's be honest, for the most part, the body stuff doesn't mean nothing. But then you'd show up to the Wasota 100, and they'd be like, well, you got to have the two-inch wheel opening. And you got you got to have – I remember one time, like, my back panel was, like, uh, a quarter inch or whatever off or whatever. I mean, and you had to, like, add to it. It's, like, just dumb little monotonous stuff like that that really makes absolutely no sense. And that's where common sense comes into play. And it's super frustrating as a driver, especially when you race all year and you're like, hey, not a big deal. I mean, everybody, everybody's kind of got the same deal going on here. It's not an advantage. It just maybe sometimes looks cooler or whatever. And then all of a sudden they make a big deal of it like 
four months into the season. It's just insane. But I got some pretty. I got I got one that really uh, almost affected me. My rookie year in the mod, um, I got to the Northern Nationals down in Superior, Wisconsin, and uh, a guy down there from Superior, he he actually called me up that week and kind of funny because me and him never used to really get along. I was kind of rivals with him when I was in the super with the guy that drove for him, but he asked me to run his car at the Northern Nationals. Now keep in mind at the time I was, you know, up in the top three in the Como Mod series. I was in the top five in Wasoda and was having a great year. And he says, I want you to run my car. And I went out in the heat race and I just, just stomped him. I mean, like one by a straightaway. And I'm like, Paul, this thing's got power. If my super stocks would have had this much power, I never would have. I'm like, this is crazy. And and somebody came up to me, you know, after the heat race, and they says, Ryan, is that car legal? I'm like, no idea. I have no clue. I said, it's not mine. I said, I just basically hopped in it, made a couple adjustments after hot lap and went. I said, boy, it's fast, though. They're like, you got a lot to lose. Like, you realize if you get disqualified in that car, like, you lose all your points in the modified and you're suspended in the modified too. And I went out in the feature the first couple laps, it felt good. And all of a sudden I'm like, boy, it, it just got in my head, right? I'm like, something maybe ain't right here. So I just kind of like let myself backpedal out of the top 10, right? I'm like something, it just felt weird. Well, two weeks later, Kevin Eater gets in that car. Guess what? <laughs> it was definitely illegal. 30 day suspension, thousand dollar fine. And uh, what if I would have ran good that night and somebody would have protested me? I could have lost everything. So it just kind of had that gut feeling like, mm, wow. something ain't quite right here. And, uh, yeah, so that was interesting. But you know where a lot of people have cheated for years was on the draw. And and there's always the perception of that, like on, on their starting position. And Cedar Lake, for example, um, Cedar Lake, the the rumor has it, okay, that they used to always have bingo balls there. Right. And and like you'd reach in the bag and when you pull in and you'd pull out the bingo ball and it'd have the number on it. Right. And and literally you'd hand it to the guy and you'd, you'd that'd be your number for the night. And that's where you're starting. Well, rumor has it that Rick Eggersdorf, these always get there early and then they'd always give the, the number right <coughs> to the guy. And, and they don't man, it just seemed like they started in the front every single night until they got there and they went to draw the number and then all of a sudden they said, are, are you sure you want to go with that? And they're like, yeah, are you positive? And uh, the rumor I heard is they opened up the bag and they had painted all the bingo balls and they were a different color. Oh my gosh. So they caught them right on the spot. And <laughs> so that, that, that was a rumor. And now Rick Auckland, he's another guy that, you know, he used to come with two cars. He had 44, 44X, I think, that one year, and then he had a couple 12 cars. And But there was many times he showed up the race with two cars, and he wasn't really worried about national points or whatever. He was just there to win the Invitational. So he would draw, you know, him or somebody else would draw for the other car, and they'd draw for both cars, and whichever car they drew the better number for, that was the car that they were they were running that doors. So that that's, uh, yeah, so Rick Auckland did that a few times. And I remember uh, in Proctor seeing somebody, and, you know, this guy's a friend of mine, but and he never went up to draw. It was always somebody affiliated with his crew. But, man, he started the front all the time. I'm like, how is that possible, right? Well, they had a small bingo ball, like a, one of those rollers, and they would roll it really fast. And when you rolled it really fast, like two, three numbers would come out at one time. And I was standing right behind them, 
And literally, they grabbed the, like, it was the third number, and it was the smallest one. I'm like, wait a second, that's not the one that came out first. And the guy at the draw window said, nope, that's the number that they get. I'm like, well, that is just a bunch of crap. Like, literally, I, like, he, there's no way, right? So then I just did it for the rest of the year. I did the same thing he did. Like, I'd go up there, he'd draw three numbers, come out, take the best one. I'm like, well, heck, I'm going to do the same thing. If he's doing it, I'm doing it, period. And And that's just what I did. And I went to, uh, I used to race in Wilmer, Minnesota. And I don't know if he ever cheated or not. God rest his soul. A friend of mine, Lane Roberts, uh, ran the place. He's on the board. And a good friend of mine, he passed away from a heart attack a couple of years back. But I was always late, always late to Wilmer. Never failed to take me two hours to get through St. Cloud. It was crazy. And I'd call him up. I'm like, Lane, hey, can you draw for me? And I went like seven weeks in a row, and I started pole like seven weeks in a row in the heat. And finally, I just asked him, like, dude, are you actually drawn for me? Or are you just like putting me there? Like, like I, I wasn't sure. And he, he always said, no, I'm like legitimately drawn that good. I'm like, are you sure? Right? Because I, I never really knew. And that's when they came, you know, a few years back or several years back now, they came up with the computerized draw where drivers would come in and you'd, you'd have to hit enter and, you know, kind of had a computer generated deal. And that was the number that you got. And man, you know, there was always that perception in people's mind that there was either a memory with it or, you know, that somebody was cheating the system or something ain't right. Cause it seemed like the same guy still start in front all the time. And the one thing that Cedar Lake did and a lot of tracks took over that really probably changed the game as far as cheating on the draw was they had a redraw number at the pit meeting. So let's say that there was 100 numbers in the bucket and everybody drew, they'd get to the pit meeting and they'd have somebody at the pit meeting draw out of, a, out, of the, out of the bucket and it could have been, let's say they drew number 50, right? And that's when 50 would actually become the new number one, so then it would rotate. So if you drew 49, that was the same as drawing 100, okay? And, they did, and it, it was the best thing ever for two reasons because – Anybody that's ever been to the racetrack with me, if I drew bad for the heat, I was pissed off, and you didn't want to see me for the next hour and a half until race time because I wasn't talking to anybody. I was mad, and I, I'm like, I'm going to just go home. This is stupid. I don't want to start last. But when they started doing that at the pit meeting, I'm like, man, that's a good deal because now I could draw 100 out of 100 coming in the gate, but I have no idea what that actually means until the pit meeting. So it just, you know, it just made it a lot easier to deal with. But it also took away the perception that people were cheating at the draw because no matter what number they got, it didn't matter because they were going to reset that at the pit meeting. And uh, I wish all tracks – I think that was, I think that should be implemented everywhere just because it takes away the whole perception of cheating. So that's a few on the draw there. Now, another thing is um, Bert was talking about traction control, right? Now, here here's the deal is – I know several people that have used it. I do. And I know several people that have ran well because of it. But I also remember a certain driver. I will not say the name. And some of you that listen to this will absolutely know what I'm talking about. But he went out and he won the Wissota National Champion in the the late model division. The next year, his picture was actually on the cover of the Davis Technology, right? Right. Uh, that's the company that makes traction control. Keep in mind, his picture of his race car was on the cover of that of that catalog. I'm like, come on. I'm like, so even if he even if he never did, because the guy's a phenomenal race car driver, a good dude, he's really smart, 
really smooth. But even if he did not, right, well, that the whole perception is like, well, obviously he was sponsored by him. Pictures on the cover. Are you kidding me? You know, so it's like everybody just shook their head and chuckled after that one. It's like, <laughs> oh, my goodness. You know, that is just crazy. You know, and then uh, I remember, so that that's one thing right there that just literally made my shake my head. And then there was a spindle deal in the Modifieds. Now, you know, there was uh, several chassis builders that were taking spindles. And the reason is because if the spindles are, are the front suspension part and there was where the ball joints go through. If you put an angle, there's, there's a whole process there, but it's called kingpin inclination. And what they were doing is they were actually relocating the top hole so that they could get the inclination how they wanted it to. And that actually led to a rule. That led to, like, cars having to run stamp spindles, you know, in certain classes. So a lot of times these, these you know, things that are illegal looking for a competitive edge, they lead to different rules. And, you know, another thing is engines. You know, uh, everybody's on this crate crate deal, especially in IMCA racing. They're talking about crates, crates, crates. Well, I was down, I was uh, I got a car from Mark Bush, and we were down and actually went down to Kentucky to get some fuel down there because I was going to do some testing and talking to a guy that actually run crates. And I said, you know, what, what do these crates cost? He goes, well, that depends. I mean, he goes, do you want a Kentucky crate or do you just want a crate? I'm like, well, what's the difference? He goes, well, we just kind of do whatever we want with ours. So there, people will actually take the crates apart, and they actually cheat them up. And, and that's a known deal. My dad was actually a tech guy back in the day. He must have felt like he had too many friends or something, so he wanted to get rid of a few by being a tech guy, right? And uh, it was back when they had the six cylinders in Hibbing, and they used to seal the motors. What they did is they would drill the bolts in a couple different locations, so that way, and they they put a seal through it, a cable seal with a with, that, that had like a lead stamp on it, and it said IRRA for Iron Range Racing Association, and they would seal it up. So that way, if you got into that engine to actually go through the process of making changes to it, you had to cut the seal. Well, what happened is on the like the final night of the year, last points night, a bunch of people got protested, and they're like, well. You know, we got protested, but our engines are all sealed. Do you even want to take us all apart? Yep, we sure do. And a whole bunch of guys got disqualified on that final night of the year because there was a certain guy that was actually taking the seals off, and he had made his own deal to reseal <laughs> these engines after cheating them all up with illegal pistons and illegal. So, so that happens. On the so this whole sealing the engine deal, you can buy for like IMCA. You can buy bolt kits and you can buy the seal kits and it's just it's just a a waste of time like you, that doesn't that doesn't work so there's always people cheating there and and with with engines you know people were always talking about you know ported heads and this and that part of me likes the crate deal because on the outside looking in it's like man it just seems like it's a lot cheaper not necessarily true because people are still taking them apart and cheating them up and now they're taking them apart and actually making them to the to the max that they're legal, but they're having double the cost in order to do that. So you, you're really not reducing the cost by going to the crate deal. The UMP rule for the modifieds when I went down to Florida is you had to have a steel block with no external lightning, no titanium rollers, and go racing. And it's like, man, that seems like it could get expensive, but there was no perception of anybody cheating. It's like, 
do you have an engine? Yep. Okay. You're good. Right. And that, I, I like that because you don't have, you're not feeling like, Oh man, maybe I'm at a disadvantage or maybe I think this guy's cheating and this guy's not, you know, you, there's things that you can do. If they're not going to tech it, just get rid of the stupid rules. Right. Just get rid of it. I've said for years in Wasota modified that, and, and in the late models, they should just flat out allow porting. Why? Because porting doesn't cost that much. Hiding porting costs a lot. Okay. And as long as there's people racing, there's going to be people doing it. So why not just open it up, make it legal, making it an even playing field? I always said the same thing with traction control. Man, if they ain't going to, when's the last time you remember anybody yeah. ever getting caught with traction control? <laughs> Answer, never. Never. Right? Never. Right? How long has traction control been around? Years. Right? So it's been around for years. Nobody ever gets caught. Well, why not just make it legal? It, it wouldn't be a big deal. Right? You make it legal, and guess what? Them traction control devices don't cost a whole lot if you make them legal and everybody's on them. Who cares? Right? So if they, I'm, I've always been a guy to say, if you got all these rules here, just get rid of the rule if you ain't going to tech it or don't know how. You know, because I'm here to tell you that I promise you this, your top race car drivers, your top chassis builders, your top your top guys in the sport are 100 times smarter than all the tech guys put together. They're always going to have the upper edge, right? So why not just eliminate the whole perception and just say, well, this is open and that's open and sure. let people do it. Um, so that's, that's a couple things there that, you know, that, that I always uh, – got a good kick out of that Rick Eggersdorf story was I just chuckle every time I hear that and you know the the tire deal's always been an issue and you know and then officials right I mean there's always cheating with officiating if, if there's judgment calls to be made let's face it a lot of times the track the track officials are buddies with this guy or that guy or the other uh, one guy and I'll, I'll say his name I don't care I don't tell him myself but Harry Hansen kind of had the Michael Jordan effect. Do you guys ever, you guys know what the Michael Jordan the effect is? Have you ever heard of that before? Yep. Now here's what Michael Jordan did in basketball. Now in Michael Jordan, would you guys agree that if you watch most of his game, he could have been called for traveling like multiple times a game, every single game, right? Okay. But you know what he did before the game? He'd, he'd walk over to the officials, man, how you doing? Hey, how's your kid doing? Hey, well, what grade's he in this year? Is he starting? Hey, tell him to keep his chin up. I'm pulling for him. How's the wife doing? Like, literally, that's what that's what Michael Jordan was doing in warm-ups. He's smoothing with the refs. He's like, man, you know, how you been? How's life treating you? How's, wasn't it your birthday last week? Blah, blah, blah. He, that's what he did. Now, when it came down to a judgment call, do you think they were going to make a call against Michael Jordan? Not a chance. Harry Hansen is probably one of the one of the coolest cats at the racetrack. Everybody likes the guy. Everybody loves Harry Hansen. I mean, he, he'd hang around. He'd have tons of people. He, he was just super sociable, fun guy, raced forever. Everybody knows him. He, he got along with all the officials. And, and where he was so much smarter than most is, like, he was always on the good side with all the officials. Man, I can't even tell you how many times he jumped start in Hibbing. Like, he'd, he'd fire so early it was not even close but they were never going to call it on Harry. Don't hate the player. Hate the game, right? You can't be upset about it. He's just smarter than everybody else because he knew he wasn't going to get called on it. So there's there's always an edge. Drivers are always going to look for the edge. And most of the time, the officials and tech guys yeah, sure. are just simply not Well, in the name of time here, Ryan, I'm going to cut you off. But uh, thank you for, I mean, your insights. Uh, those were those were some good uh Good stories. And yeah, getting back to that uh, Cedar Lake, I remember one year uh, 
I think it was the one of the openers. Uh, Darren Morado came down and and uh, actually grabbed a uh, one of the bingo balls before he paid, and he drew so bad, and he just gave him the ball back and said, "I ain't racing." And they said, "Oh, you gotta pay," you know. And he said, "Oh, they were," you know. They he just I don't know if it was busy around, but yeah, there's always been chatter around the, the pit area there in Cedar Lake. So, so well anyway, folks, we're gonna move on <laughs> to the last lap. So that means there's one to go. Well, we had some sad news come out of uh, Arizona this past week. Don the Grinder Gumke passed away on Tuesday last week. Uh, it sounds like he was under his car. Ryan, do you have any intel on exactly what happened there? I, I don't know exactly what happened, but that's that's what I understand is he got, you know, the car come down on him, he got crushed, and, you know, I don't know if he I, – I have no idea if he had a lift, jack stands, this, that, or the other, but that just – that leads me to this is drivers, crew guys, be, just be safe, right? I mean – it don't matter if you're using a car lift, if you're using, um, you know, the, the air jacks, if you're using jacks with jack stands, make sure that car is steady because multiple people over my years of racing have died as a result of a car coming down on them. And sometimes even when you're extremely careful, crazy things happen. And, you know, my, my condolences definitely go to him and or to his family and, to all of his friends and all the racing community, that guy's been a big part of dirt track racing for as long as I can remember. Race modifieds, he built engines, he owned the Jamestown Speedway, and you know, uh, you know, definitely, uh, I've, I've raced out there. I've been out to Jamestown a couple times. I did not know Don well, but I know a lot of people that did, and he was very um, instrumental in helping a lot of those people with their careers. So, you know, just sad to see a guy go. Um, you know, way too young, way too young, and it can happen to anybody. And I think that tracks really need to take notice. If you see, uh, you know, for track promoters out there, if you see somebody crawling underneath their car and they got no jack stands, no nothing underneath it, you know, make them get out. Just say, hey, get 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 out, get a jack stand underneath there. And if you catch them doing it multiple times, they're going to have to be penalized. I mean, they got to be, you know, booted out, fined, whatever. And and they may grumble about it, but they'd rather pay a hundred bucks or a couple hundred bucks or get suspended for a night than lose their life. I can assure you that. So just be safe. Things can happen, and we never think it's going to happen to us. But uh, all it takes. Well, is if you've one, been around Wazoda Racing over the past fifteen to twenty years, you know the name Chris Stefan, especially if you've been around the Cedar Lake area. And some break. You also, yeah, I guess you'd call it breaking news. Some news came out today on Chris Burt. Will you fill in the listeners? Um, he's been, uh, he's going to become the, uh, general manager and promoter at Vado Speedway. So, uh, I, I was surprised when I saw that. Uh, I mean, I'm not from the Western part of the state, so I'm not as familiar with, uh, everything he does over there, but I know he is a racing enthusiast to the max and he's an icon announcer at Cedar Lake Speedway. Um, so, uh, best of luck to him down there and, um, we'll see how this uh, changes things in the western part of the state. Ryan, were you surprised to hear about this deal and the, this news? No, not really. Uh, you know, Chris been around quite a bit, and you know, I know that he's helped uh, Royal Jones down there in the past, and he's been kind of, you know, as long as I can remember, he's been helping out down down in that area anyway. He's got a good relationship with them guys, so. You know, uh, the, the guys that own that place run businesses, and they're definitely always looking for somebody to, to run the program. And, you know, he had built that relationship for a number of years. So 
So I, I definitely wasn't surprised. I had another story we're following. Dun Benson Motorsports. And again, if you've been around late model racing for the last 15, 20 years, you know who they are, the number one car. Uh, they're now offering a ride leasing program. Very interesting, Bert. Uh, I don't know. You, you have a driver in mind that might take advantage? <laughs> Any prospects? Well, I mean, I, I'm sure there's a lot of drivers that would love to take take advantage of that. Uh, I don't know what the uh, what the rules are or guidelines are for uh, a driver doing that. Uh, I mean, I was surprised when I first saw that. I always thought this type of idea would be great on the local scene. Uh, I know I've interviewed a lot of modified drivers here on the eastern side of Wisconsin. And one of the questions I always ask them is, you know, what are your future plans? And a lot of them will say, I'd love to try racing a late model, but I don't have the money or, you know, or I don't have, have the sponsorship. And I always thought this would be great on a local level to give uh, drivers who wanted to give late models to try that opportunity. Brian, you think this will be a success? It just seems, I don't know. It, 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 I, I don't, Bert, we should raise money and throw Ryan in there. What do you think? The one to go show, we need some sponsors. <laughs> we'll throw Ryan in. <laughs> Oh man, I, I don't I don't know if they got old timer races. I don't know if they that's you know washed up drivers or I don't know what they want to do there. But I would have to think that they're not going to just take some modified guy, you know, somebody that doesn't have experience in a late model. I I have a hard time believing that they're just going to say, well, here's the deal. Why don't you just try this? I'm because they got to have. I know they got to fill out a a resume and stuff like that. I'm assuming. You know, I could be wrong. It'll be interesting to see. But I'm assuming they want somebody that's actually won some races, got some experience, you know, and that's obviously got a little bankroll to cover anything if they wreck it. But I would assume that they're looking for some drivers that have some wins under their belt that, you know, to give them a chance to maybe run some open late model stuff. I don't know what shows they're going to let people run this at. I don't know enough about it, but it'll be kind of fun to follow to see how this works out. And I went, Bert, I don't. I don't know that a late model deal would, that just doesn't seem to make sense to me, you know, and the reason is this, because a lot of them guys spend oh, lots of money, lots of money to go out there and race. And the last thing you want is some schmo that rented a car for the weekend coming out and wadding up the whole field, you know, so that I, I'm a little bit torn on that. And, you know, I'm not really sure how that's going to work. I, I'd like to see that something like that, like in an entry level deal, you know, we're, you know, cause that's what we're looking for. We want to pe- we want people to get in on the entry level, you know, to kind of fill in, uh, you know, have people kind of growing through the ranks. I always thought that would make more sense on some of the entry level classes. It's very interesting to me that they're, they're doing it in the late models. And, uh, it's, it's definitely a story to follow. We'll have to, We'll have to keep an eye on that to see if anybody takes advantage. Okay, of another story we're out. following. Well, I guess it's a little bit of more intel than anything is, uh, you know, we talked about Rick Eckert a couple of weeks ago that he was kind of a surprise in Beto, and then he raced Wednesday night down at the Arizona shootout while I was in contact with a friend of his and a fellow listener, and he's driving for a gentleman by the name of Alan Murray, and Alan's out of Dallas. And so Alan was actually racing. The car couldn't be there on Wednesday, so Rick piloted the car on Wednesday and, you know, just like we had kind of surmised, you know, he is going to go to Florida and, you know, race with the World of Outlaws down there and just kind of see how things play out. Odds are he won't do the series, but, you know, if they catch some luck in Florida and end up, uh, you know, 
kind of in the mix when they get out of there, then there's a chance that he might, uh, you know, start following this, you know, or follow the series until things turn south, you know, but if things obviously stays towards the front the whole year, he'll keep it going. So uh, Bert, you know, you've seen Rick race uh, many years. What, what do you think the odds that uh, he can come out of Florida, you know, let's say a top five uh, in points? Well, I mean, he definitely has the resume where he, where he could do that. Um, I mean, if he has the proper equipment and, um, you know, top-notch equipment, there's no reason why he couldn't do that. Ryan, anything on Rick? Well, he, he was one of the best, but that just simply ain't going to happen. Um, there, there's, just, there's just no way. I mean, I'm pulling for him. I'd like to see him run well, but, you know, he's – he's lost a step let's put it that way now the last time i said a guy maybe lost a step he surprised us with the second the next night out so you never know i mean he's definitely talented he's won a ton of races but man i i just have a hard time believing that he's going to come out of the week out of the uh, florida down there in the top five i just simply don't see it you know i'd be happy to see if he could crack the top five a couple nights and just and then just and just run well and kind of start a season off pretty well. So it'll be interesting to see, um, but I, I just I, I don't think he's been in the loop as much as as he was back sure. when he was running the Orange Twice. And, Ryan, you've got some uh, street stock news. Uh, they're throwing together a little tour. Yeah, yeah, there's a bunch of street stock guys over there in western Minnesota that run, uh, you know, they run around Wilmer and Montevideo, Madison, Fergus Falls area, and, you know, the, the, the folks over at the Cheyenne Speedway in Lisbon, North Dakota, put together a street stock tour. And I, at first I thought, man, this is going to be like a 6-8, you know, show deal, kind of keep it on a local level, you know, and uh, just have a, you know, have a little fun, race for a little extra cash. But they put together an 18-show series, and, and these, some of these guys are good friends of mine. And I just got to be honest, I think this is a mistake. I mean, I really do. And, and they're going to be mad as hell because them guys are excited. They're pumped, whatever. But the fact is, most of them tracks are struggling for car counts on regular nights, and now they got 18 shows they're going to run. And street stocks only race for 500. There's a thousand to win at a couple of them shows. They ain't racing for much money, and now they got them driving to the middle of North Dakota. And it's like most of these guys don't have enough money to race four nights a week locally, let alone tra- travel all over the countryside. Now. I just chuckle because I was that guy, you know, back when I was racing supers, racing all over the country, I did it because I was passionate. I was hungry, but I ended up broke even after winning a bunch of races and I can just see that happening. Now, you know, it's cool that they're trying something like this. You know, the street stocks are a, a good class. It's highly competitive. I've seen some really good street stock races. So as far as the fans go, they're going to see, you know, some really good racing, but I Man, I, I just I'm skeptical. I think they just they're biting off more than they can chew. I think that they should have probably, in my opinion, started with you know six eight shows instead of this eighteen. But we'll see okay, how. Okay, and our out. final bit of news is Jeffrey Massengill, the young late model pilot from Kewatin, Minnesota. He's going to make the jump over to Kryptonite Race Cars for 2020. Uh, Ryan, you know Jeff, you know, and I, you know, of course, I watch him, you know, just about weekly. You know, getting a little bit better every year. Uh, Maybe this, maybe this kind of puts him over the top. Who knows? Yeah, he had some good runs last year at Invite Time. I know Labor Day weekend he had a, uh, the one night I think he got third or whatever, so he ran really well. 
you know, he's a good driver, you know, and, and he's he's gaining experience. His dad, of course, raced late models for a long time, and you know, just interesting jumping out of that out of his old car into this kryptonite car, you know. And I, from what I understand, I talked to Jeff, and uh, he'd been he'd been talking to uh, Freddie Carpenter there for the better part of a year. So at first, I thought this is a knee jerk reaction to the dome, right? You know, but uh, but this has been in the works for a long time. Not only is he going to be driving one, um, he's actually going to be the dealer up in northern Minnesota for the kryptonite chassis. So if anybody in our area is looking to go that direction, they're going to be uh, going through Massengill so, racing. All right, fellas. Well, this was by far, well, not by far our longest show because we did have the non-posted uh, New Year's or the uh, uh, decade in review special. But uh, thank you, especially to you, Ryan, for all your insights. And, uh, you know, I knew that cheating subject would be kind of interesting, you know, and it was just so timely with the MLB and everything. So um, <laughs> anything else, guys? I think that's what. Yeah, hey, Bloomer had yeah, Bloomer had his surgery too. I saw on Facebook there. Um, sounds like it sounds like surgery went good. He's going to be healing up. So you know, hopefully, uh, Team Zero can have a speedy recovery. We can see uh, him back in black here um, before too long. Awesome. Looking forward Anything to him else, being Bert? back out on the racetrack. Uh, no, I mean it, this was yeah, like you said, this was one of our longest shows. But it is, I think, is actually one of our most interesting shows. So, yeah, there's some great um, stories there. <laughs> Ryan had a lot of great stories. Yeah, and and I'm sure he has a lot more that he didn't get to. <laughs> Maybe one or two. All right, fellas, great job as always, race fans. We appreciate uh, all of you listening, and from all of us here at the One to Go Show, we always encourage you to be your dream. Thanks for joining us, and you're tuned to the One to Go show.